Hello, and welcome to another episode of Overdrinkers. My name is Mike Burge, the host of this podcast that you are listening to right now. And today we have a very special episode and a very special guest, as always, here on Overdrinkers. Everything that we do is special. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, today I'm joined by Burnett Gorman. Hello, hello. Of Story Screen fame. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a really special movie in both of our hearts from last year for the uh, one-year anniversary of its release. We're talking about La La Land, mm-hmm. the Damien Chazelle nationwide phenomenon. Yeah, power. Was it a global? I'm not sure. It's an that's... American, it's a very American movie. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never looked into like the overseas success of this. Mm-hmm. But... Well, I think it's also like the... Uh, I was thinking around like, oh, this came out December 9th, 2016, the month, about almost one month after a very devastating thing that uh, most of the country shared. And this was kind of like a, I remember this movie being kind of like a nice warm hug. Oh, yeah. You know, just like, oh, it's so, it's so, it's, you still have a soul. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we got together and uh, as always on Overdrinkers, we are discussing a movie at nauseum over drinks. And today I have... Uh, made us a couple Sazeracs, so cheers to you. Cheers, cheers. Yeah, yeah, yes. God, tasty. That's very tasty. That's very good. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're gonna josh about, uh, La La Land, uh, what we thought when we first saw it, how it, I mean, I've seen it, this is probably watching it just yesterday for this podcast, um, was probably the... Seventh time I've okay. seen it since it came out? You're not as far ahead of me as I thought. Mm. That was my fourth time Okay, there you go. It. Yeah, I saw it three so. times in theaters. Mm-hmm. I saw it twice in theaters. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I saw it three times in theaters. Uh, then my girlfriend got it for me on Blu-ray f- uh, for my birthday in May. Mm-hmm. So I saw it like December, January, February. Then I saw it in May, watched it, watched it again with the commentary with Damien Chazelle because I'm a super nerd. I would like to do that, actually. It was a lot of fun, yeah. yeah. I have the Blu-ray. You can borrow that as well. It's right on there. And uh, and then it dropped on HBO a couple months ago, and I ended up just throwing it on in the background for then, and then I watched it again for this. So I'm, I I do like this movie a lot. Oh, yeah. I think that a little bit of the magic uh, from the first one, from the first time I saw it, is fading, but it's not uh, becoming less than. It's, okay. The magic is becoming more like when I watch movies like... An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain. They're becoming these kind of classics where mm-hmm. I don't even need to be in the room at all times watching the movie. I know what's happening and I can just kind of come and go as I please. I mean, that's that's It's a Wonderful Life to a T. Right. You don't need to sit there and watch. In fact, mm-hmm. it's highly recommended that you don't sit there and watch the whole movie because it's very long. Yes. <laughs> and there's a bunch of boring parts, but yeah. it's, it's a very good movie. It's a tight movie. And um, I found that the more and more I watched it, the more familiar I got with it, the more it felt like the f- like the really good friend that mm-hmm. I first thought that the movie was going to be. There's that first real specialness to when you first see La La Land, if you like it. If you don't like it, right. you don't need to listen to this podcast. But <laughs> no. it's, it's totally, it takes all kinds, takes all tastes. It's fine. You know, it's, it's not everybody has a soul. It's cool. It's fine. Or if they haven't seen it, maybe we'll convince them. Right. I mean, yeah, you should totally see the movie yeah. just because of like, you know, cultural phenomenon. 
at least. You know, and it's Ryan like, Gosling. And Ryan Gosling. And Emma Stone. Emma Stone, She's too, but... Emma Stone in this goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Ryan Gosling has a face that's made to be a main character. He's made to be a leading man. Right. He just looks automatically. He has those looks and that charm and that way of looking, both the way he looks at things and how he looks, where you automatically, as a male audience member want to impart like you want to put your aspirations on him you want to be him yeah yeah and i think emma stone can be the same like i feel the same way even though our genders are crossed i'm like sure i i kind of connect more with emma stone's character in this movie than i do with ryan gosling's Mm -hmm. but i'll stop talking now what do you what do you (laughs) what do you think i'm gonna sip on the sazerac yeah speaking of amount of times we've seen this film I know I'm going home to Indiana for a week for Christmas, and my mom loves this movie. My brother just recorded it for her on the DVR, and so I already apologized to Heath. I was like, Heath, I know we're watching it right now, but we're probably going to watch this again at the end of December. What does Heath, uh, your lover, Mm. think of this film? He likes it. Yeah? Good. Yeah. And I think he likes it more and more with each viewing. Mm -hmm. He's the type of guy, it's really hard to get Heath out to the movies. It's hard to get him to sit and watch a movie. We've been together for four and a half years, and there are still films where I'm like, I want to see this. Mm-hmm. I want to see this with you. This was very important to me. Had like a cultural moment for me. Let's share it together. And he's still a little hesitant. He'll play mm-hmm. like video games mm-hmm. while I'm watching a movie. He gets down with like TV shows with you too, right? Yeah. That's he- your big thing. He likes the long, yeah. the long haul. He's not good at binging, though, either. Oh. He'll just sit and do, like, two episodes. And I'm like, oh, man, we could do a couple more. That's my thing, too. Like, Diana gets really mad at me. Not mad mad at me. But, you know, like, uh, I'm not a big binger. I don't really like watching more than uh, two episodes at a time. That's fair. Unless I'm, like, getting through something that I'm just, like, like, when I watched Breaking Bad, I was, like. Back to back to back to back. I think I watched The American Horror Story, the first season. I watched that in one night. The first season is very good. It's very good. I just very I started it at like 8 p.m. I was like, oh, let me see what everybody's talking about here. And I just watched it straight on until 8 a.m. in the morning and then went to work. And I was like, <laughs> so guys, uh, American Horror Story, huh? And they're like, yeah, dude, it's, uh, it's 2016. American Horror Story, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's great. It's great. I just good. got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this film, yeah, actually, every single time I watch it, it still brings tears to my eyes. Oh, uh, it's like it moves me in a way that even if I was trying to resist, it wouldn't matter. I tried this time. Yeah, you and try I was to just fight like, that I'm not, feeling. I'm not crying. Like, it's, it's, I'm, it's the seventh time I've seen I'm, it. <laughs> I'm su- and I was like, it's a cross between we're doing a lot of, uh, we're approaching the end of the year, so I'm watching a lot of movies. We're recording a lot of podcasts to get mm-hmm. ahead of the holiday season so that we can all have some time to ourselves. So I'm, and I also have my own job and we're building out the theater and things are moving ahead with that very quickly. And I am also, you know, we're, uh, uh, the, at the day of this recording, we're holding a, uh, a, um, a gala for our, um, partner company, More Good mm-hmm. is, uh, holding a, um, Christmas party. Where we're raffling off a bunch of prizes and we're giving a bunch of, uh, donations to uh, building water wells in third world countries. They've been super successful in the past. So I'm going there and I'm seeing that, I'm seeing that. Um, participating in participating such? In, 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 in a way. Uh, and I'm just so tired. Yeah. And I was watching La La Land and I was like, it's not going to get me. And then it's every single time. It's before the it's before audition where I cry. It's before the ending where I cry. It's when she says, maybe I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. 
And she says it again and again. And, and she's saying it as a joke at first, as just an excuse. And then it becomes a joke. And then she kind of maybe it's believes it. Real. And on the fourth time she says it, she believes it. Maybe I'm not. It just gets me every time because it's one of my... I hate it when people don't think that they're good enough for things because mm-hmm. every anybody can do anything. I'm living proof of that, not to be... <laughs> like egotistical or anything it's just like I like doing I like trying things risks that I might not be able to pull off and trying to do them and you know it's just you need to be happy in the attempt because Mm -hmm. then the success and the failure doesn't matter right you know and it's I hate people that get down on themselves Mm -hmm. and it's and seeing Emma Stone's character who's just been like beat down left and right throughout this whole movie just getting turned down left and right Mm-hmm. To see her just finally break in that and see that optimism just finally crack under the weight of her dreams and to see her mm-hmm. dreams slowly slipping away. So sad. And then that yeah. just like that just like butters me up for the, audition the and everything else. And I'm like, here, it's <laughs> fine. Take take them. Yeah. I even tear up though at the very beginning, another day of sun. Because I think that that opening is one of the best openings of probably the past five years it's a real good opening yeah it really just like sets you up perfectly for the tone of the film mm-hmm. oh just the scope of it is so great one of my uh friends who cares about this sort of stuff just as i do pointed mm-hmm. out to me that uh um the first character to have a speaking line is a person of color mm-hmm. second person that like and then like a guy gets out and he's like this tall like hipster looking dude but he's just kind of like backing vocals mm-hmm. and then the next person that comes up that's leading vocals is also a person of color mm-hmm. and even when you start out the first like four people that are sitting in cars that you're going down are all people of color it takes a while to get to the first white person and i'm like well in a movie where we're pretty much watching Two extremely white people white it up for a little while. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's okay to start out that way. Well, even in the in Another Day of Sun, when the circle forms and there are people dancing in the circle yeah. in front of like the moving truck mm-hmm. with instruments, the first person to dance is a plus size woman. Yep. And yeah, there's just so much inclusion in that opening scene that you find it very heartwarming. It's not necessarily even like they're covering their bases. It's just no, like, it's, it's like, uh, I think life. it's a lot, it's a celebration of culture and life. I mean, that's right. the very beginning of the movie. The first thing you see is that it's, you're, you're moving past cars and everybody, regardless of their gender, race, or unbeknownst to us, creed sure. or anything, it, they're all listening to different music mm-hmm. in their cars and they're all responding to it differently. And then we finally go into the car that's playing you know the the piano that will become another day another day of sun right and it's like that's that's a celebration and then you get different people coming in and dancing in different ways in that circle later mm-hmm. you know the the whole movie is a celebration that it, it begs uh positivity and optimism in the face of pretension and hypocrisy like the characters in this movie are pretentious they, they are. are hypocritical they, they are they are um assholes mm-hmm. they're dicks they're dreamers they're morons uh uh, they're artists, like they're all of these things, and especially our two main characters are supposed to be these kind of hypocrites that don't know what they want. They like they want uh, they want it out. they want their cake and they want to eat it too. They right. they want to be successful and they want to attain their dreams, but they also want to be in love. But they want that person to love them just the right way, and they want right. themselves to love them just the right way. And right. it's an impossible task. Like it is. The more you look for perfection, you'll always be. Uh, you won't like what you get if exactly. you're constantly looking for that. And that's like, I, I've spoken to a bunch of people about it. And like, I never mean to say that if you don't like the movie, you're pretentious. It's that the movie is talking about all of these things and they're doing it in like, and 
Damien Chazelle's certain some of his choices are uh, hypocritical on purpose. You know, they say like the whole line, like, how are you ever going to be a revolutionary if you're such a tra- uh, such a traditionalist right. is the whole point to the fact that Ryan Gosling's character doesn't want to be a revolutionary. He yeah. wants to keep doing what he's doing. He's very conservative his with way. his music and he wants to do it in his own way right. and be left alone. Right. He wants to start a club. He doesn't care if people like it or not. He exactly. Just wants because he sees that he, he would make um, Emma Stone's character, I mean, I guess we can just, Mia. Mia. He would make Mia's character Mia. Um, <laughs> proud right. and happier if he was doing something that she didn't have to worry about his well-being. That's mm-hmm. why he takes the band gig. The whole idea that at the end of the movie, because he doesn't take the band gig and she becomes successful and he's supporting her, that this is in some way a dumb idea. Like, oh, so what? One of us has to give up our dreams to support the other. That is a complete misunderstanding of what they're talking about. He already manipulated his dream beforehand to try and make her happy. Mm -hmm. And it ended up making him miserable and it ended up breaking them apart because they weren't being honest with one another. Yeah, it's all about communication. It's all about communication. He is doing what he wants to do, which is play at small clubs Mm -hmm. and be in love with Mia. And it's, you know, they're meeting in the middle. It's compromise. Compromise. Well, even he overhears her talking to her mother, I'm assuming, or father. She's on the phone. Mm -hmm. And she's having a conversation, and she says, well, he's trying to save up for his club right now. It's going to be great. Well, he doesn't have a steady gig. Well, he just doesn't have the money at the moment, but he will eventually. Mm-hmm. Wait, did and we ever find out if that is the mom or the dad? I don't know. That's I'm very sure. Freudian, because I always assumed it was the mom. Oh, really? I guess it would be, I want to impress. Be yeah. Good. <laughs> All right. But yeah, uh, her having that conversation, he interprets it in such a way that I'm not enough Mm-hmm. And yeah, the whole film is so sad to watch because they're both expressing themselves creatively in different outlets, just not with each other. Yes. They're supportive mm-hmm. of each other, but not openly communicating. Yeah, that's the and whole... that's very sad. The whole scene with, like, she designs him a logo. Yeah. She's like, I'm helping you out, but the it, it, it takes more than just, you know, supporting one another. You need to support the support that you're getting, which you need to go, that's an amazing logo. You're right. It shouldn't be called Chicken on a Stick. <laughs> yeah. But instead, he's like, he's this pretentious asshole who thinks he's the only one that can have control of his dreams, that he wants to succeed on his own. Mm-hmm. And he needs her help, and she needs his help. And neither of them want to admit that until... It's too late. Until it's too late, and they realize in their in their flash sideways... Yes. <laughs> that <laughs> that uh, maybe they should have just, if they had taken time to really understand that your dreams and uh, the person that you're in love with neither has to take second place to the other neither has to be in the back seat they just need to be balanced and balanced like anything else that's worth it it takes work Mm -hmm. yeah even as a couple they're trying to make both of their dreams come true at the same time frame at the same rate and that's what ultimately causes this car crash and this explosion of emotions with these mm-hmm. two. Because, yeah, I think they don't realize that they can both work towards their goals just at their own paces. But it's such a free-for-all. I mean, the whole thing, starting out with that traffic jam, they yes. both feel like they're in the traffic jam perpetually. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to get out. And they don't care what kind of wreckage mm-hmm. they leave in the, in the background. Which is... Yeah, heartbreaking yeah. to watch. When we first meet Sebastian's character, he's uh, constantly repeating 
three seconds of a song mm-hmm. so that he can understand how to play it when he gets home. And Mia is uh, practicing lines mm-hmm. in her car and they're just stuck on this like freeway um, in L.A., the like the city of dreams. And they're both like kind of trying to go about achieving their dream in their own way and they're stuck and they can't get anywhere. And it's once they start kind of getting together and meeting. I love the interpret the interpretive like dance stuff that they do where it's like, it goes from them like flirting to each other and just like, just having like a clever tete-a-tete and mm-hmm. wit for wit. And then all of a sudden they're just like kind of dancing around and like their dance is kind of witty and sarcastic and God damn it. <laughs> like it's, I feel so bad for people that don't like it. And I, mm-hmm. and it, it's a, and I get very passionate about it because I'm just like, that sucks. That's so yeah. sucky. And and I get it. And I understand, like, the movie has these problems. I'm saying that these problems, uh, whether or not they were done on purpose and intended by the artists, mm-hmm. that's what I see. And that's what makes the movie so special to me. Sure. And I wish that people could see some of, like, some like the, the hypocritical nature of it, where these, these are just, like, when he, uh, when they sit down for dinner... It starts out like they're, he shows up and he makes her dinner. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, surprise. And they haven't seen each other in a bit. And they're so in love. They're still in love. They really but are. But that is the scene where as soon as one of their, how do I say this? One of their egos is threatened. They start attacking each other. Mm-hmm. And now because they're so close... They know exactly what to say. To wound Ryan them. Gosling does it a lot more because he's way more of a dick than Emma Stone. He is, yeah. Um, and he, wa- he at that point, he wants to hurt her feelings because he has felt as though he has given up his dream without even discussing it with her. And she's yeah. like, I never asked you to do this. Right. You overheard a conversation and interpreted it some way. That's maybe what my mom wants. Maybe not, but that's not what I want. Right. And you can't get mad at me for making this choice without discussing it with me having mm-hmm. a conversation about it. And then he gets really mad at that because he's like, oh shit, I fucked up. I did oh, yeah. all of this shit. And then he just attacks her for being an actress. Yeah. Well, also, I think, yeah, the final blow is, I think you only liked me when I was down on my luck. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's like the real knife in the heart yeah. type of comedy. Because that's, not, that's not that's not what um, a partnership is. Right. And that's not what it should be. And at the same time, when he says that, Emma Stone is like, that's insane. Are you? She says, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. And he says, no. And she's like, I can't believe he would say that. But then you see she gets a little glimmer and she's like, did I? Right. You know, and she doesn't really know because they're both being insanely dishonest with themselves and one another mm-hmm. about everything. And that's why it just like crumbles down. There's no communication is key. Right. You know? And and they're not doing it. They're not doing it right. Yeah, for the people who don't enjoy this film, I think it's really interesting because essentially what we have here are a couple of struggling artists in a very hyper-realistic setting mm-hmm. in a musical, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily... Which is necessarily, all even grounded in a way, too. You it's know, very it's like it, It's like traditionalist Dreamland. in like the music. Right. He's got that line where, where she says, is it too nostalgic? Yeah, and he, and says, he goes... Yeah, that's, the, that's point. the point. And she's like, but what if they don't like it? Fuck them. Right. It's like, it sucks. Like, this is a movie for the ones that dream. Well, the people who don't like this film, I feel, tend to probably prefer more gritty, realistic mm-hmm. 
uh, depictions of a struggling artist, a lot of low light, a lot of grungy apartments, you know, showing the real struggle of what it means to have a few dollars in your bank account. Mm -hmm. But this is that story. It has Mm -hmm. a different coloring. It has It's just totally exciting. It it's the same story. You just have to get on board with the fact that, yeah, it's a musical mm-hmm. and it has a little bit of a different layer. But other than that, yeah, it's a very relatable story. I've never once watched this movie and felt like I couldn't relate to these characters. No. And maybe it's because I'm white and because I'm I mean, I fairly, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, not no, unprivileged, but I'm not super privileged. I'm right in that sweet spot, I think. But maybe that's why I related to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I find it extremely endearing and relatable and it does pull at me in the right ways that it should mm-hmm. and i have never even lived in la i've never like chased my dreams that hard but it still makes me feel like i'm right there with them well that's nothing too the movie very much makes fun of la makes fun of the idea of living there and uh and also romanticizes it in this mm-hmm. kind of like um uh, passive aggressive way Right. You know, and it's romanticizing it while at the same time ridiculing it. And I think that pretty much just covers their base of like pissing people off from L.A. Mm-hmm. People that really like it for what it is and the small things that it can do. This movie is making fun of that. And then for the people that, you know, find it romantic and everything, they're making fun of that as well. But right. for also the people that are like. Yeah, LA is not is not romantic. Like it's it's uh it, it's a it's a place where dreams go to die. Like they're Your, making fun right. of that as well. Your and, car gets towed. Yes. All of the worst things can still happen to you here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's a movie that is covering so many bases and all and stands for so many different things depending on what you bring into the movie. And right. you know, us to bring in the fact that we are white. Mm-hmm. Is something that I'm not going to be able to get past with La La Land. Right. Because it's just like the two main characters are white. I can attach myself onto them right. and go along this journey with them. Uh, if that is difficult for someone else because of their race, then uh, that, that sucks. That's a va- It's more of a valid argument oh, absolutely. than saying I that you think the songs that. suck. Right. Can't be- people see and they say like, oh, I just walked out of there and like I couldn't remember a single song. I'm like, ah, you have shitty taste in music, too. That's great. That's fantastic. Like, how do you not whistle City of Stars for, like, the next week? I'm not even trying to make a joke. That sounds so ridiculous, me saying it, because it's such an obvious... Everybody was whistling that. Yeah. I was all about Audition or Another Day of Sun. Another Day of Sun. Or Someone in the Crowd. There's tons of great songs in this. And people that say that, I'm just like... You're, you're saying that because it's something that I can't argue with because it's just a critical opinion. Right. And you can't argue with critical opinions. That's just what they are. Right. But when you say something like that, there's no ground to have a conversation. We're just on two completely different planes where, I don't know, it... It's like if you told me, like, oh, I don't like the movie because Ryan Gosling isn't attractive. I'd be like, <laughs> what? You're, you should be locked up. Yeah. You're insane. Are you married? Do you have children? Uh, I think yeah, this is a pretty good spot to uh, take a little break real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll refill on these Sazeracs, and we'll uh, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more. Okay. Cool. Hey guys, 
guys, Mike Birch here, just popping in real quick to let you know about a podcast episode that we had way, way, way back in the beginning. Uh, Bernet was on it as well. We covered um, the 2017 Oscars, uh, where La La Land was up for a lot of Academy Awards. I think it won almost all of them, uh, but did not get Best Picture, because Moonlight rightfully took it, but depending on your taste. But uh, also Golden Globes, too. Um, we talk about that because it was post-Golden Globes. So uh, definitely go back there and check that out. We talk about La La Land for a brief 15, 20 minutes somewhere in that long episode. Uh, and we also talk about the other major contenders up there, some of our favorite movies of the year. Uh, there's also an episode, which was our best of 2016. We talk about La La Land briefly in that as well. So if you want to get some more input from me and Bernadette, uh, as well as young Robert Anderson and handsome, charming Jack Kalajewski. Uh, you can re- run back and uh, check out those episodes. They are free, available on SoundCloud, iTunes, StoryScreenBeacon.com, or wherever you're listening to this right now. You can just find it there, totally free. All right, let's get back to talking about <sighs> La La Land. Hello and welcome back to Overdrinkers, our episode on La La Land. <laughs> La Land. Um, so jumping right back into it, I guess, I mean, Emma Stone won Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. Right. She Just for the audition scene alone. phenomenal throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. She's uh, very real, uh, very sad, very touching. Uh, Ryan Gosling as well. Like uh, the more and more I watch it, the more and more I appreciate his performance in it. You know, he right. won he won uh, best Golden Globe. The only reason he lost uh, best actor at uh, the Academy Awards was because of human slime ball Casey Affleck. Yeah, which is a really sh- big shame because that film is so good and mm-hmm. he does a, such a good job in Manchester by the Sea. He well, he's a good actor. He you know, good he's actor. in a Ghost Story as well, which he's which not I seen yet. he's it's not on my list. very much in it all that much unless he's under a uh sheet. Right. Because right. he is the ghost. Yes. Um but he's, you know, he's in things like uh Gone Baby Gone. Mm-hmm. Casey Affleck was in that, which is a phenomenal movie. He's I mean, I've really so good in it. liked him ever since The Last Kiss with I, Zach Braff. Yeah, that's that's a that's a he's good, good point. He's good in that too. Yeah. It's, he's, he's very, um, he's got like a presence that Mm -hmm. is his own. He's got like that voice, you know, that's just like, as, uh, like actor specific, like Christopher Walken's voice. Like he's just got, he's got that very like, that like lilting way of speaking. Oh, you know, when you gotta go and (laughs) the leaves are falling down and it's a, it's just the way that you know. That's you not know. a bad it's, impression. That's what he is. And <laughs> yeah. It just sucks that, you know, and I was talking to somebody about this. I don't know if it was on the mic. Okay. Because I usually try to stray away from any kind of, uh, any kind of conversation where it might come across as if I am trying to. Absolve someone. Or, right. Because it's yeah. nowhere near my place to have right. that. And it's like, and even speak that opinion on a public manner. But I do think that. I think I've mentioned this before. I think that Casey Affleck in particular has an opportunity here to, uh, because he won Best Actor at the Academy Awards, he is going to present Best Actress mm-hmm. to the Best Actress of this year because that is tradition. Mm-hmm. And he really should have 
someone else do it for someone him. Someone else do it. Like he, he I should think say so too. that. Like he should just be like, well, "I'm relinquishing this honor." Yeah. Like yeah. I would like, you know, like and it, but at the same time too, like if he were to say like, "I'd like to have Brie Larson out there on stage with me to present." I don't even know if Brie Larson would like even give that it. idea the time of day. Like, right. and that completely depends on her and she's more than allowed to say no. Right. Right. You know, it's like she, it's really crazy that we have like this guy, one best actor amidst all of these terrible accusations of sexual harassment and abuse. Oh yeah. If Manchester by the sea was up this year, he would be out of the race. Right. Right. And for Brie Larson to have won, for her performance in a movie that is very much about sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And I, I would hope that he could, not to beat on this drum anymore, but I really, I really hope that he just gives it up and just says, yeah. like, no, somebody else should do it. Like, I thank you for the award. It means everything to me. It's what every actor, you know, really strives for and would and would like to have as a part of their legacy. And, but, you know, right now there's more important things than my own personal legacy going on right Right. now. And he should just have the wherewithal to do that. I agree. I agree. Ryan Gosling ain't doing that. (laughs) No. Ryan Gosling's sweetheart. Yes. He's a sweetheart. He's dedicated his Golden Globe nomination to uh, Eva Mendez's brother who had died of cancer. Oh, yes. Well, she was taking care of both him and uh, their child while she was pregnant with their second. Mm-hmm. You know, while he was making La La Land, and yeah. like that's like he's a class act. He is a class act. You know, and you can't you can't let certain things like that outside of the movie, um, you know, kind of uh, color or shade. Yeah, like mess around with how you're going to interpret the film, right? But like, it's getting harder and harder not. When it's to. something like that, he's just such a bay. Yeah, you need to. He's our little baby goose. <laughs> he is. He's it. Yeah, he's great. He's wonderful. Uh, so. Because we are on different spectrums for this, I'm interested, because I mentioned this to Heath last night, I still, I know, have not seen Moonlight, and I know that that's a travesty, and I know I need to. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that La La Land has more staying power than Moonlight has as a film? I know that's not necessarily what goes into the voting process for best film, but even when I watched La La Land last night, I was just like, this movie is going to be amazing for years and years. And I think it has such strong staying power. I don't know that about Moonlight because I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. But a year after the fact, how do you feel about that whole Best Picture flub? Uh, the flub itself is so unfortunate. The flub, yeah, really. Because it kind of does of color both of these movies with this, you know, this trivia right. that is trivial. Right. In all of these things, but it was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Moonlight is the superior movie. Okay. In my opinion, I think that both of them have staying power, but for very different, in very different ways. Sure. Uh, La La Land has the, has the, uh, La La Land has the staying power of a film like Pulp Fiction, where it was a cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. and it was, it got a lot of accolades and uh and and we'll be talking about it for a long time sure. you know and it also has that classicism to it that's ingrained in the tradition of musicals and stuff where it's it's like singing in the rain it's like it's a wonderful life it's like casablanca it's something that i think 30 years from now will be looked at as a classic of the time it speaks very highly of its time with the use of cell phones and different stuff right. like that um but moonlight is more of a and i'm trying to find 
a really good example to put Moonlight to without being disrespectful. But I would say that Moonlight is kind of like something like these are terrible examples. Something like Donnie Darko or Garden State. Okay. These smaller films that, you know, it, those are bad examples because over the course of time, those have been um, re-examined and they're kind of like, they're more products of their time. Moonlight is very much a classic okay. story. Um, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Is, right. Yeah, is and it's it's hard to explain it without uh, with someone who hasn't seen it because once you've seen it, it needs no explanation. You just sure. go, yes, it's a masterpiece. Sure. Uh, Moonlight had me so mad and, and so sad and so happy and so um, excited and depressed and just like in awe of how they were making the movie and the story that they were telling and the directing in it. Barry Jenkins is phenomenal. I can't wait to see what he does next. Right. Um, and it's Moonlight though. It, like, and, and that's what we said at our, in our, uh, in our Oscar uh, thing where I, I said that like I'd like La La Land to win right? but I'd m- prefer it if Moonlight won and I, I think that I also even stated that I wanted uh, I'd like Damien I thought that it was going to be the opposite I thought La La Land was going to win Best Picture and, and Barry, Barry Jenkins. Jenkins was going to win Best Director right? Um, and I think that the only reason that Moonlight won Best Picture because because the Academy was treating La La Land like the like the perfect Hollywood dream come true story. Damien Chazelle wrote this back in 2010 in his senior year at Harvard University with his buddy Josh Hurwitz, who does the music, and it like they they wrote it for a long time. They were about to make it a few years ago for a million dollars. They're just gonna do a million dollars. They needed a bunch of changes to the script. The studios demanded, and so they said no. And then after the success of Whiplash, they got thirty million dollars to do it. Right. Came back, did it right. And brought this thing forward, went through a bunch of different turbulent things. Uh, Emma Watson and uh, Miles Teller were supposed to be the original two main characters in this. Right, right. Miles Teller was turned away because he demanded too much money, so Ryan Gosling took his place. I'm so pleased that those casting changes happened. Which which took Ryan Gosling from a movie that he was slated to be in. Which one? Beauty and the Beast. Oh, really? How funny. Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And Emma Watson... I'm so glad decided it happened to go the way over. It yes. happened. Yep. And when Ryan Gosling uh, signed on, the idea that Emma Stone could come on was presented because they Have are had... the new Hollywood couple. They like are, they, yeah. They were in um, Crazy Stupid Crazy, Love yep. and uh, the phenomenal Timeless Gangster Squad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sarcasm. Very heavy right there. Yeah, Crazy Stupid Love, though. It's great. Crazy Stupid Love's great. Yeah. yeah. And Ryan Gosling is, um, what's the word? Hot. <laughs> In that movie, he's hot, he's steaming. Yes, he is. Um, and so there was all this, like, dream come true thing. Sure. Yeah. And oh, I should also say, too, that, like, Emma Stone was presented because of Ryan Gosling, but the main reason Damien Chazelle cast her is because he saw her performance in Cabaret mm-hmm. and was like, yes, to one. Yeah. Um, so there was all of these things going on, and Emma Stone had constantly been you know, referred to as, like, the next Meryl Streep. Like, she's got something special. Mm-hmm. She can do anything. And Ryan Gosling has constantly been this, char- this character actor where they've been making him this leading man and trying to push him and find out exactly what he could do. And in the previous years before La La Land, he figured it out. And he had that he has his niche down. He knows how to do it. He does. That broken sweetheart mm-hmm. with, a, with kind of, like, a dickish charm. Yeah. You know? And all of this stuff together made for, like, the, they swept the Golden Globes. 
they have the record for most Golden Globes won. Yeah. They were nominated for seven, won all seven. They beat out One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which held the uh, the record before that. For a long time. For a long time. Yeah. Um, And so it was this huge thing. It's like, yeah, we want to give him Best Director and Best Picture because that is the end of the, the happily ever after. That sure. is the dream. That's what he's working towards. And yeah. it's a testament to how good Moonlight is yeah. that Moonlight won. Could it, can you argue that it is because uh, Moonlight, you know, uh, was the year after Oscars so white? Yeah. You can argue that and I you would have not, a though. valid point. But I think at the same time, too, if the Academy Awards has shown us anything that they're not really interested in doing stuff like that. Right. But even if they were th- taking away – because La La Land won a bunch. It did. But taking did. away that best picture was going to take a lot. Yeah. And I don't think that they would have done it just for, you know, exposure. Sure, sure. You know, and making news headlines. Right. And so the flop, the flub that happened <laughs> is just like a little... little it extra. It sucks. It's what happens when you get Finn on the way and Warren Beatty up there and they're just like, we don't, we don't know what's... We have no <laughs> idea what's going on. Let's just uh, do what we think we should. The way he just like shoved that off to feed on way too. He's just like, well, I don't. Uh, what was it? It was like they, they got the Emma Stone, Emma Stone. lead actress, mm-hmm. and he was just like, well, I don't know. Well, what to well, do. well. Uh, and she was like, come on, why don't you say something? He was like, well, why don't you? And then she just saw and she said La La Land, and then you could hear Warren Beatty in the microphone just like, uh, it's no, for no. actress. <laughs> this was wrong. But yeah, I'll let you borrow Moonlight too. Yeah, I need to see that. Uh, I'm gonna postpone that until I yeah, yeah. all of these films. Hold, hold, yeah. <laughs> hold, hold on to it. I'll. Uh, we'll, we'll, you can take a pick at my DVD collection. I never use these things. The only reason that the only DVDs that I keep now are ones that I'm like, this is something that I want to own. Right. But I very rarely ever watch them because I'm constantly watching new movies or sure. catching up on the hundreds of hours of TV. Yes. That are just being shelled out at me. Yes. I just finished Mindhunter. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> it's great I can't wait to watch it and uh, about to start Godless Ooh. and The Punisher okay and I still gotta watch American Horror Story the new okay. one which yeah I, I tell just, me what you think I just like that <laughs> show I just like that show I love I do, Roanoke I keep watching it I told myself that I really need to take it less seriously to really enjoy it anymore yes absolutely and so once I took it less seriously i'm like all right this is still enjoyable american horror story is a, is a box of and now it's not serious and yeah american horror story is back. a box of all green sour patch kids <laughs> it is just like, mm, I was like all right it, the taste is the same every single time you're not getting any variety yeah it's a little sour and your tongue starts to hurt after a while but you know what you're not supposed to watch it too much no you don't you eat are. it every day so it's kind of like yeah it's um it's 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 uh, it's uh, it's shitty TV. Yeah, it is. But it's good shitty. It's good. It's shitty. fun to watch, and especially with Roanoke, I think they understood. They were like, "We're getting a little shitty. Let's get meta about Let's the get shitty." Even shittier. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, constant TV. I was thinking about this the other day of how cool this would be. All of Hollywood would have to take a back seat. All of them would. Mm-hmm. But how cool would it be in a couple years? If there were no new movies released and they just show classics in the theaters or like show like a little bit like throughout the whole progression of film Mm -hmm. to get people out into the theaters and give them the opportunity to see all of these films that they've missed instead of continually shoving new stuff in your face Mm -hmm. so that you can't catch up on the stuff that you've missed. That'd be a good idea for a small independent theater. It's never going to (laughs) happen, but it would be very, very Mm -hmm. cool. I would very much appreciate that. I mean, yeah, that's one of the, you know, our our schedule for... um, 
story screen when the theater mm-hmm. opens up in Beacon, New York, uh, sometime early next year, um, is to try and have. Uh, I want to have mixture. at least like four or five classic films, whether they are super small or super big. Um, sure. Every week. Right. And that's awesome. I want to try and do that where it's like we. It's a. It's a church, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, it's a perfect term for it. We're going to be a church of film. And mm-hmm. you can come on in and you can just... Experience. It's a temple. And yeah, we want to educate, entertain, uh, collaborate. And I think one of the best parts about film is that you don't need to just watch the really great stuff that's coming out right now. There's already almost 100 years worth of the great whole mecca. shit. Yeah. Great stuff. Like, I love... Fine. Um we were in a local newspaper recently where – and the way local newspapers work is they kind of um, – you know, they'll take the interview that you take and they'll just get the blurbs that it's they need. It's a very short blurb. And uh, I was explained as we, uh, for the podcasts because uh, we had Jack and Robbie are the co-heads of uh, podcasting and I was talking to them and giving the interview and they and I said like our different tastes in movies and how it's kind of a variety and eclectic. Right. And uh, they said that um, uh, Jack likes horror – Mm-hmm. Robbie likes animation, mm-hmm. and I like um, obscure, wacky. I think is the other obscure wacky movies. I'm yeah. like, Maybe well, that kind of just like, <laughs> like I like, um, like Ducktales and Treasure of the Lost <laughs> Lamp. Like, uh, that's a no, pretty that's, obscure wacky movie. That's animation. <laughs> that's animation. That's that's, that's Robbie's. That's camp. Robbie's wheelhouse. Yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like uh, I love finding these old classic movies. That, you know, are either very well known or uh, um, something that people miss. Yeah. Obscure and wacky. Obscure and So I guess they're right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so watching La La Land mm. this most recent right, time. Right, La La Land. La La Land. Yes. The podcast you're here to listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, watching La La Land this last time, every time I've seen this film, I'm very happy with the ending. I very much appreciate the notion that someone can touch you in a certain way. And move you emotionally and set you on a course in your life that you wouldn't have had otherwise if you didn't know this person. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that is your be-all, end-all, end of the road. I've always appreciated the realism of them not ending up together. But this most recent time, it hurt me the most, knowing that they didn't end up together. Because I'm very much in the camp where I appreciate that ending. But this most recent time, I was just like more heartbroken than I typically was watching this film and i don't know why that is maybe uh after a year of sitting back and thinking about it of just how truly heartbreaking it Mm. was i mean well you're friends with these people but at this point right in like a weird way that you can be friends with fictional characters you know like i i read uh the great gatsby every year okay and i am friends with those characters even like tom buchanan who's a complete fucking dick I read like, uh, High Fidelity every year. Every year, there you every go. Year. And like, yeah. and so like, you're you're kind of, uh, it's it's more than a casual acquaintance, mm-hmm. you know. When you, the first time you see a movie, uh, a good movie should try and kind of create this casual uh, friendship between the audience and, and certain sure. characters, if not all characters, uh, and. Uh, that's that's a testament to how you make a good story, how you make captivating, relatable characters. We relate to them, so we want them to win. We want them to succeed. That's where the stakes come from. And John Cusack is great at being relatable. <laughs> yes, he, he built is. an entire career in the 80s and 90s <laughs> off of like, being relatable. oh, that's the guy that I know. I know that guy. I'd be <laughs> friends with this guy. I'd have a beer with that dude. 
Right. Um, or a Sazerac. Cheers. Or a Sazerac. Yeah. yeah, I cannot agree with you more. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very sad. And I think that it's, uh, you know, not all of us have had specifically the same experience that me and Sebastian have in this, but at the same time we have. Everybody's had something like this, uh, whether it actually happened or it is something that your own personal brain has concocted a version of what happened to you that made it more dramatic and and epic and heartbreaking, you know, because there's... There, there's a there's a strength in heartbreak that many people I feel don't want to admit uh, that you're broken and it hurts, but at the same time you're going through something that's somewhere in the back of your head you know that you're going to remember this moment in your life for the rest of your life and you've got to try and make the best of it and get through it not as quickly as you can but maybe uh, with your head held as high as you can. So that it doesn't just get worse. Yeah, when you're heartbroken, nobody can pick you up but yourself. And luckily, Sebastian and Mia um, mature both as individuals and partners by the end of the movie to a point where they are supporting one another by saying, maybe we shouldn't be together. Maybe you need to go and, and follow your dream and accomplish your dream. And I need to go follow mine and accomplish mine. And maybe us also being together in that is just not in the cards. And right. and they're wrong, but they it takes five more years for them to realize if we had just done this differently from the beginning, maybe we could still have it. And it's probably right. not true. Yeah. But that is the that is the 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 downside of heartbreak, which is you never know what could have been if things were just done slightly, slightly differently. If he had just mm-hmm. said, I mean, every time I watch the movie, I'm like, when he is doing, uh, when he's supposed to be at her show, her premiere, Oof. and he goes to the photo that shoot. so hard. I go to myself, I go, I would say, fuck that. Just leave. Fire me. You can me. still leave. Yeah. But I also know that I am guilty of doing stuff like that because mm-hmm. when you're caught up in the moment... Um, it's very easy to become selfish and being selfless is a very hard thing to do because we right. are naturally as animals, as like cognitive, intelligent animals, we are designed to protect ourselves, survival mm-hmm. of the fittest. And that also goes to cultural and societal protection. And right. it's like, I need to make sure that I still have a job when I wake up tomorrow. Love isn't worth it. But right. because you don't say that out loud and it's more just like it. it's more of a responsibility, you're just like, well, I know I need to do my job and then I'll I'll try and make it. And right. it's it, their whole ending, the 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 flash sideways as sure. it is. <laughs> Your I'm okay face with this. when I keep saying that. Like, <laughs> sure. Sure. Cool. <laughs> um, is uh, is very much a, a metaphor for the ideas of the themes of the movie where it's taking all of their hypocrisy and all of their pretension and all of their dreams and their love for one another and everything that they've been discussing in the movie. And it's showing like, what if you had it together when it started instead of what if you had already known the lessons that you were about to learn from the relationship you were about to be in at the beginning. And that's the most heartbreaking thing. Yeah. Well, even in that moment where he's at the photo shoot and you can see how ridiculous it is. He he knows it. 
in like a far removed part of his heart that he's not acknowledging that this is how it ends. And they push it but even further by embarrassing him, you know, because right. he's like, but your lip. Like, yeah. like, put your glasses, put your glasses down. Put your glasses down. Now, like, like, look moody. Look moody. Moody. Yeah. And he, he knows it, but he's not acknowledging it because so many other things have already come up in their paths where he was like, well, that didn't end us. That didn't end us either. This also isn't going to end us. It's just his arrogance in that scene and his lack of accessing his true emotions. Because he's playing this weird character with the messengers. He's playing an alternate version of himself mm-hmm. that is not allowing him to actually realize, like, no, this is the end. And I'm I'm causing it right now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's a heartbreaking thing to see. In the video, remember, there's, like, a YouTube video of them yeah. being interviewed, and you can't hear what they're saying because mm-hmm. it's, like, over mu- it's uh, under music. Um, right. It looks like Ryan Gosling at one point, he's, like, getting... <laughs> Like they're, sh- they're showing like a... It's like in the back The room. video of like a... Yeah, like getting interviewed. Yeah. And they show him and he says something, but you can't see it. But if you read his lips, it almost looks like he says like, I'm the bachelor. Mm. Which doesn't make any sense for his character to say that because he's with me at that time. Right. But I feel like mm-hmm. that is also something Sebastian's character might say if they were just like, oh, like the Beatles, there's the cool one and the poet and blah, blah, blah. Like, which one are you? And he's going, and he's just like me, I'm the bachelor. It looks like he says that. I'm not. I just noticed that last night. Yes, it just kind of. I was like, oh, I wonder what he's saying right there. Probably doesn't matter. But again, the more and more I watch Damien Chazelle's movies, such as uh, you've seen Whiplash. I have seen Whiplash. Mamma mia! Yeah, that's a spicy a movie. Heath hated it. Heath is a musician. Oh, he said, "God damn it, musicians, (laughs) man! Jesus, I can't take you guys." Heath, man, come on! This is so. Impractical for yeah, what it would that's, be. I've talked to a he, lot, especially jazz drummers, are a, like, nah. It's a horror film. You have mm-hmm. to realize that this is a thriller slash horror. It's not about musicians. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, now he now he knows what every single maternity nurse feels like when there's a birth <laughs> oh scene in a movie. Gosh, yeah. They still don't hate Bridget Jones's diary too. <laughs> yeah. Or nine months. Right. Like, right. It's just, just a. a Take it and that's it is. and that is that is just like the general like and I'm sorry that is the general pretension that comes along with being an artist in a specific field. Yeah, I do it with film practice. all yeah. the time where I'm just like when I see something like in a movie I can be like that's dumb because that's just not the way movies should work. You're doing it wrong. Right. And well, I recently rewatched the original Blade Runner Final Cut before seeing this new Blade Runner and watching that. The one again, the original again. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, damn it. I'm older now. I'm wiser. This doesn't hold up as well no, as I wanted it it's, to. <laughs> it, the original but. Blade Runner is very much, it's in its classicism and its and its nostalgia that makes it so, in the way that it, it shaped everything. Like, right, right. It inspired sci-fi. <laughs> it's, movies are still being made today that are Based stealing, that. stealing from Blade Runner. So, yeah, um, you just, like, when you have that understanding, you have to, like, sometimes dial it back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean to be an <laughs> asshole. It's just like, here's the whole thing. Artists are assholes. Yeah. And I consider myself an artist. Musicians in every form are artists. And, buddy, we're assholes together. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to be able to check yourself and go, look, this I is a get film. that it's not practical. <laughs> I get it. But is the practicality the main point of what the movie is trying to do? And more often than not, I'd say, no, that's not what they're getting at. Right. And so then you need to go, okay. What is the movie trying to do? How well does it do that? And how does that measure up to the impracticality? Right. And I think in a movie like Whiplash, where it's a psychological horror, 
uh, that is based around the idea of music and mm-hmm. assholes in music, uh, yeah. thinking that they're better than everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, pretension is a very touchy subject because we live in a very pretentious time. We do. Where, you know, we have access to everything. And, like, I can say, like, I have all of these books on my shelf and all of these DVDs on my shelf. And uh, I... I and I, I have the internet and I can learn how to, I can cook chicken wonton soup <laughs> just by looking up a recipe. It might not tips. be amazing. Yeah. But yeah. like I can make it and it's, it, it leads to this kind of uh, false confidence. Oh, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with false confidence. The same thing as confidence. Confidence is confidence. Whether it's misplaced, right. it doesn't matter. That yeah. just more leads to ego. Mm-hmm. And you can become very egotistical, which Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2 deals entirely with this entire uh, point about the, one of the characters' name is Ego. Yeah, and he is a yet, Okay, yeah. <laughs> and he is a very egotistical person. Right, right. He is named correctly. Um, and, uh, man, I should let you borrow that one, too. I, have I know, that I know. I'll just, I'll throw them at you. That's definitely one you should watch for 2017. It might not hit your top ten. Yeah, probably But it's possible. But... It's the only uh, superhero movie that's still on my top ten. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, besides Logan, that's right. Well, yeah, that's a different God, thing. What a weird fucking year. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I digress with but the yeah, pretension But yeah, you were talking thing. about Damien and what he does in his films. Yes. Uh, he's also got um, Guy and a Mandolin was his first movie. Okay. Uh, all three of those, all three of these movies, uh, Guy and the Mandolin, Whiplash, and La La Land, all also contain a movie where a man uh, explains music. To a woman, mm-hmm. but he's saving it. He's allow saving me, jazz. allow <laughs> me. Guy in the Mandolin is just kind of it's written by a young person, so I'm going to give it a pass. Uh, and it's a good movie. It's very fun. It's uh, super pretentious, <laughs> but it's it's fun. Um, Whiplash. Uh, Miles Teller is an asshole. Mm-hmm. We are not supposed to think that the things that he is doing are good. Mm-mm. So him mansplaining music to a girl who's just like, I just love you and you like music and I'm not really that interested and you don't have to, ex- I don't have to like everything that you like. Right. That's his character's fault. It's supposed to be there. Right. In La La Land, this is a thing that's supposed to connect them that's going to lead to the ending. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like jazz because newsflash, most normal people don't like jazz because they don't understand it. Jazz is an amazing genre of film. Or it's just film. not for them. Or it's just not for them. And that's With okay. Emma Stone, she discovers, she's just like, oh, I never really understood it. And I, the way I was able to understand it is because of your passion for it. And because I am so passionate for you, your passion transcends my, um, you know... Uh, Preconceived notions yeah, like, going I, I, into this. My, my, what I, how I feel about it. And now you change that. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's like, you should open up your club because... Doesn't matter if anybody, nobody likes jazz. You made me like jazz, and right. that's the whole point. So, like to call that like this kind of, you know, uh, like misogynistic trait in the movie is just like kind of odd. It's like that's, but it's it's in there for a point. And I don't think that he comes across as heavily misogynistic. He's not saying it to her. He's like, well, you're a woman. You wouldn't understand. Right, right. That's being misogynistic. Just because she happens to be a woman, because it's a love movie and the two main characters, one is a man and one is a woman, one is a musician, one is an actress. I mean, there are some things, too, where Emma Stone is, is, is a hypocrite as well because mm-hmm. she claims to want to be an actress. Uh, she's got – she's never seen Rebel Without a Cause. Or she also is taking auditions for the sake of taking auditions. She's in the practice of becoming an actress, mm-hmm. but she's not really truly understanding what becoming an actress right. means to her. Very much, and she's that's like where the two the characters kind of differ. Where like yeah. Ryan Gosling is kind of fully Very formed focused. as a musician, as an artist, 
Right. He just doesn't understand what he really wants to do with it. Right. Emma Stone knows exactly what she wants to do, but she's still trying to like get that break. Figure out how to get there. Yeah, figure out how to get that dream of hers. Yeah, I never took it as misogynistic either because it seems like Sebastian, his character, he wants to explain jazz to the world, but no one's listening. Absolutely. And, and she's then he the finds first someone who, sits down. who yeah. listens. It's just and a sweetness. Yeah, I think it's not a misogyny. I don't think he's mansplaining anything to her. Right. I think he's just like, no, I actually kind of like this person. And I like her enough and she likes me enough to sit down and actually listen right. to and what it's, I have to say. This is the, the idea the of the, you know, this is the over-the-top PC SJW nonsense, which I don't even like those terms because it's, yeah. it's just name-calling and it sucks. Like a social justice warrior, it's like if somebody cares about somebody else's feelings, like at least give them the time of day. If they seem like they're a little full of shit, just be like, eh, your intentions are good. Thank you. I have self-preservation, it, though. So right. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, this is like you're looking for things and it, it it starts to become like this really weird form of sexism where you're just like, just because a character is female, you need to try and find these ways that this fictional character that does not exist because she was written by a man and the film is directed by a man, you need to find something and you don't. Yeah. You can. There's tons more actual examples out there and but looking at a movie like this where you know it it seems to like be celebrating different cultures and it and it's got two main characters i mean ryan gosling is top build mm-hmm. um and i think that heavily be- comes from the fact that it is written by a man uh but emma stone is in it just as much as him i always really like to just think that g comes before s that's my interpretation mm-hmm. i'm like Alphabetically, his name comes first. Okay, there you go. That's oh, what that's I told true. myself. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I mean, that happens and on, They start with Emma Stone so, first. They do. I mean, we see Ryan Gosling first, first, but her story happens first, and then we go back and we do Ryan Gosling's. Right. In a movie uh, that some people are trying to call uh, misogynistic in some way. Wouldn't you typically see the man first? Wouldn't yeah. you see the man first? And then I, I had an argument with somebody about this. And, and then when you – so if you're finding those examples of why it is – when I give you a very blatant, pure example at the beginning of the movie, they're setting the tone, and the first person that talks is a woman. Mm-hmm. And of the two main characters, one a man, one a woman, the first story you get is, is a woman. woman. Why is that not an example against what you're saying? Right. And it doesn't have to be against. It's just an example for, I mean, maybe it's not A there. different interpretation. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and that's why, again, and I, I wouldn't want this kind of conversation to not ever come up. I want to talk about stuff like this because Absolutely. it's a good it's a good idea to bring the stuff up and say how is representation for women doing in these big movies like La La Land which are getting a lot of play and half the story is about a woman and it but like the genders could be very easily swapped with yeah. musician and actor. Oh yeah, absolutely. Very easily because Ryan Gosling be looks like he could be an actor. Yeah. He's got that actor look. Yeah. He doesn't have a face for radio, some would say. Yeah, he has a face for the screen. Um, and then what was the other... The two other Damien Chazelle movies. He's got... Uh, he wrote this movie called Grand Piano, uh, where Elijah Wood plays a guy who plays the piano professionally. Mm. And if he plays one note wrong, a sniper is going to shoot him. And the sniper is played by... Are you ready for it? No. John Cusack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. I love Elijah Wood. It's like uh, phone booth with a piano. Yeah, that's exactly that's what it Colin is. Farrell. Colin, there you go. My, my baby. <laughs> Going my baby. back. And then uh, I found this out last night. Uh, Damien Chazelle uh, fucking helped write 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, he did? Yeah. Also, I haven't seen that yet, but... Jesus. I know, I need to. 
Uh, but yeah, going it's back. It's a really good movie. <laughs> I love that movie. To this uh, misogyny in this film. Oh, please. I, I also heavily disagree because Sebastian himself as a character doesn't truly grow until he and Mia split. He's kind of like trapped in this state because even though he knows in his heart that he has gotten Mia to love jazz, he still throws it back at her later on like, you don't like jazz. Yeah. And he she uses says, no, that a couple times. I do like jazz. I have changed and grown because of this relationship. Mm-hmm. And really, Sebastian hasn't until they're separated and he's faced with like dealing with his actions, mm-hmm. the consequences of what happened throughout the film. So I don't feel like, if anything, that he's like teaching her how to live her life. I feel like she's teaching him. They're teaching each other. And if they're anything, teaching she's each other. teaching him more. Right. Because he's a fucking moron yeah. yeah he's a dickhead he's very dense at least she's kind of like she's not a dick no she's a little um hypocritical and uh maybe even like a little naive in the same in the same way that he's naive mm-hmm. about uh dreams just working like that mm-hmm. um but if anything like at least she's like a kind person yeah like she's nice i i, I love her when she asks the band to play iran and yeah. she starts doing that Aww. super just improvised it's so cute stuff oh you know what else i, I found out was improvised uh ryan gosling's line about la um being uh oh. Worshipping everything. But valuing nothing. But valuing nothing. That's something that uh, Eva Mendes said to him. His Aww. wife said to him. And he just like kind of threw it in there. That's such a good line. And that's a great line. Like it really encapsulates everything that the movie is trying to say, both in earnest and hypocritically. Like that's right. why the movie is so hard to explain to somebody who didn't dig it on like just a... Conceptual level. Like just a basic level. Like it's... Yeah. it's um. What is it? What are the what are the terms? Uh, mm. Ugh, I'm not even gonna try. I wish I, I could like reach in right your now. brain and just pick it out. Dentatonic and contatonic. I'm saying them wrong. I can't remember them right now because Sazerac. But <laughs> pretty much the idea is that uh, you have two ways of look, two ways of interpreting a movie that are happening simultaneously. What you see is what you get. What you see, what you hear, mm-hmm. how things are presented. Um, you're getting that. Mm-hmm. And then it's also uh, how the movie is kind of brainwashing you and making mm-hmm. you think a certain thing about a certain thing so that later on uh, something can have either uh, an emotional or um, just some kind of a reaction. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a subtle form of brainwashing, that, how they use it. It's kind of like uh, – it's like using sex in ads. Sure. That's what they do. It's sure. kind of like – this this has nothing to do with sex, but You're saying you like sex, don't you? Yeah, this is like sex, so Here you go. you'll like it, right? Um, and it's the movie on the front is presenting this just like love story that even if you wanted to just take it as that and go like oh, heartbreak sucks and follow your dreams and like it's still like a a very competent film, yeah. But it's what it's presenting. And the beliefs that it is presenting, it does not actually believe. And it is also commenting on the fact that it does not believe these beliefs. Mm -hmm. And it's even commenting on the fact that it's commenting on the fact that it does not believe these beliefs it's presenting. And that's where the whole hypocrisy of all of the characters come in. The movie is very smart. Very, very intelligent. And the reason that I can back this up is because Whiplash is insanely smart. Very, and it's very from the smart. same writer-director, the movie right before, on a very smaller budget. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that La La Land's intellect as a story and as a piece of art gets lost in the $30 million extravaganza that it becomes. And the tone that you were talking about before where people aren't used to seeing this kind of really dark, sad story about like an artist's life told with such popping colors and flair. They get tricked and then Mm -hmm. they don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think if anything, uh, going into this film, if I were to talk to someone who had never seen it, and if they were already on board with watching it, already a thumbs up for me. But I would say this is a film about the tenacity of women, especially women who are artists. Because Sebastian does get told no twice at the beginning of the film. We hear from his sister that he is he got swindled or he got somehow screwed over in a business dealing. And now he can't have the club that he thought he might have. That's him getting told no the first time. And then he gets told no by, uh, oh, what's his name? J. Jonah Jameson. J.K. Simmons. J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> J.K. Why. Simmons, yeah. That's it. Commissioner uh, Gordon. <laughs> have gets, you seen Justice League yet? No. He has got some hair in that movie. Oh, I wish I could find a picture. I'll try and find a picture <laughs> okay. after it. Yeah, keep going, though. I'm so, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, so he does get told no. It's not a story where men don't get to- told no. That's not true. Mm-hmm. I can't outrightly say that but the rest of the film is sebastian telling himself no him getting in his own head him not really dealing with adversity in the same way that mia is dealing with adversity because he is living on his own he apparently has enough income to live in la by himself well i mean he's also past due on all his bills he is he is (laughs) classic struggling artist uh but mia you know you see her living with three other women and she is the one that we see constantly being told no. She's not telling herself no. She still has the self-confidence to keep going for it and going for it and going for it until she moves back home. And yeah, the scene you talked about earlier is heartbreaking to watch. But if anything, it's about the tenacity of women in the workplace and showing up. So if anyone comes at us or at me <laughs> saying it's a misogynistic film, I disagree wholeheartedly. I disagree, totally. I mean, I think Emma Stone is, uh, she's uh, my favorite character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I personally, uh, how do I put this lightly? I, I, I would give Ryan Gosling everything. <laughs> he can have me. Yes. Uh, body and soul. Uh, he can take any book or any DVD from my shelf that he wants. Uh, all that I have is his. Ryan, if you're listening, all that I have is yours. You can take. And uh, if you want to meet me in the middle there and, like, I can have some of your shit, too, that'd be great. If not, you are still fine. Uh, $50,000 sounds fantastic right about now. Uh, (laughs) But, no, Emma Stone is – she's the character that I really – relate to when I watch the right. movie and I always think that I'm going to relate to Ryan Gosling because I when I sing the songs in my car uh, I'll find myself just singing Ryan Gosling's parts and the parts where there's a duet and because I can I can sing a little bit closer to him sure. I'm working on it I've been giving myself vocal lessons because I don't know if you've heard I'm making an EP oh my uh, goodness in 2018 I'm going to write some songs okay uh so I've been working on trying to get myself up there. 
Yeah. Um, well, she sings, yeah, in like a really like high upper register for the majority of the film where her voice is so low. I feel mm-hmm. like she would probably do better to maybe sing a little lower. Right. But yeah, her voice is delightful in the Yeah, film. somebody told me... Um, it's very high for her voice range. Was, uh, somebody had a really good point uh, about that they didn't like about the movie that as soon as I thought about it for a little bit, I was like, wait, no, that's stupid. Uh, so I just I just completely knocked that around. Uh, that the uh, uh, they wished that the opening number had been a little bit more bombastic, a little bit more fantastic. Like, yay! Like we're here in a musical, and I'm like, wasn't Why? it already? I think it's kind of like realistic, and it's also supposed to be one take. It's three, but like it's all supposed to be like just one like sweeping sweeping take. take. Right. Um, and some of the stuff that I heard about. Uh, they said that um, that maybe they did it because they didn't want to show um, the oh, faults in Emma singing. Stone and Ryan, Ryan Gosling's like voice the and the performance and stuff. And I'm like, the faults are what make it. And I know at this point now it's become just like a Saturday a Saturday Night Live joke. Which yeah. I'm gonna give this to you if Saturday if Saturday Night Live is making the joke. Probably not a very smart joke. Oh, oh! I'm just gonna be honest I'm here. Still on SNL's they're funny. Boat. They're funny. They're funny, and they entertain me. But you know, they're not exactly clever. No, my favorite skits from Saturday Night Live are the weird ones where I'm like, I can't believe this made it to air. And these mm-hmm. are my favorite skits. My favorite but skit yeah. of Saturday Night Live of all time is one that never made it to air, and it's when Bill Hader is a coal miner. Have you ever seen this? No. I'll show it to you after okay. this. You can see exactly why they cut it. Yeah. And you can see the actors going like, they're going to cut this. And Bill Hader is just like, it's amazing. Coal miner, Bill Hader, look it up. You'll laugh your ass off. It's like five minutes long. It's amazing. Who is the actor, drawn a blank, in No Country for Old Men? Javier Bardem. Not Javier Bardem. Josh Brolin. Yes, Josh Brolin. You're welcome. He hosted an episode of Saturday Night Live years ago. Uh And there's this weird Halloween sketch of them in a high school hallway and there's like a wind machine and there are like people trying to fight the wind in this high school hallway. What? And I'm like, how did this come to pass? But th- that's probably one of my okay, favorite Okay, you show skits. me that one and I'll okay. show you. You show me yours, I'll show you mine. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway. <laughs> the, so anyway. Uh, so mentioning their faults in their uh, voice, Their faults are like all the, the point. That's what makes it. They're hypocrites. Yes. They are doing this gigantic thing. And this, again, is something where it's um, it's the meta commentary on the commentary that's already there right. about what the movie is doing. And it's presenting these people for this, like, uh, everybody's saying, like, Ryan Gosling looks at his feet. And it's like, yeah, it's a very easy joke, like, because everybody's saying the same excuse because it's not an excuse. It's the reason. Uh they're not supposed to be great yeah, this at is... this. It's supposed to be a grounded traditionalist thing. They trained with a bunch of people. Uh, there's actually a great uh, story about um, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, and Damien Chazelle went and met Gene Kelly's widow. Really? And spoke with him and went through a bunch of his stuff and uh, found like a leather-bound script of Singing in the Rain Ooh. that he used on set. And... The great part of the story is the widow came to set from time to time. Oh, my goodness. She had a little dog. And at one point, the dog got away and started running across traffic and was about to get killed. And Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling ran after it and got it. Damien Chazelle exclaiming, we are not 
killing Gene Kelly's <laughs> widow's dog. No. We're not, not today. letting that happen. <laughs> uh, no, and the choreography in this, shout out to Mandy Moore. I've been watching her on So You Think You Can Dance for years. And yeah, she's phenomenal. But this was the first time that I watched the film and that scene uh, where they're flirting after the party. And they're dancing. It's my favorite. Uh, At uh, Hollywood Hills, yeah. Yeah, that was the first time that I really noticed all of the imperfections in Ryan's dancing. Yeah. And he's a little late to some of the moves. Yes. And he flubs a couple times, but that just makes it even better. It's the whole point. I don't mind it's, at all. And it's it's that's the joke that they yeah. make fun of. I was like, but that's the point. <laughs> and it's because it's not an excuse. It's the reason. It's the it's reason. Because they're supposed to be having this conversation. It's what they were just doing beforehand like their entire uh, dance that happens for about three minutes is their conversation coming up the hill where it's like, it's weird that we keep bumping into each other. Yeah, it is weird. Maybe it means something. No, I don't think so. Yeah, you're probably right. It's a back and forth and that is put into dance and every now and then one of them is going to stumble because Emma Stone fucks up too because they're they're losing to the other and sometimes one is more extravagant than the other while the other one is back just like kind of standing with their hand on their hips in mm-hmm. classic traditionalist music fashion. Movies like An American in Paris and Singing in the Rain and all of these phenomenal mu- musicals. Yeah. The one thing they have is like this kind of anti-realism because they're supposed to be spectacle. Right. Damien Chazelle's whole thing was he wanted to make a musical that was based on like these traditionalist values and ways of presenting these stories and these numbers, but grounding it in a very realistic world and a very real relatable story. And he yeah. did that by incorporating everyday emotion and tenacity mm-hmm. in the musical numbers, whether it's in the lyrics, how they're sung or the dance numbers. Danced, yeah. Exactly. And that's, it's just what it is. And if that is a little bit better articulated than, but that's the point. That's the point, yeah. Then I hope that that serves well. But I think at this point now we're a year out. And if you don't like La La Land and you have seen it. Don't know what to say to you. <laughs> come to us, please. Like, if you don't like La La Land and you're listening to the podcast, uh, you can find me uh at Mike underscore Burge on Twitter, DM me, and if you live in the New York area, come on over to my house. We'll watch La La Land. I'll make you popcorn. I'll come over. Yeah, we'll make some (laughs) Sazeracs, and we'll watch it, and we can talk about it, and either you can convince me that I hate it, which got a lot of work to do, or I can convince you that you actually kind of like it or love it, or we can give each other healthy conversation and and, uh, go about our days and allow nothing to be changed and... For the world to not be brighter. Yeah. Watching this film again and seeing that dance scene up on the hill, I read a different subtext into it, which I'm sure probably wasn't intended, but I'm like just adding more and more intricacies into the film because I love it and makes it more interesting. Uh, The first time that these characters see each other, they are in their vehicles. So they kind of subconsciously know what each other drives. And that scene where they're both kind of lying to each other about where their cars are, uh-huh. uh, it makes their dance and okay. their flirting even more palpable. Okay. Because, I mean, granted, there were lots of Priuses at that party. That's a joke. 
in in that scene. Well, and I think that it would be more so she would know what his car looks like. Yeah, which is parked right out front. So she knows that he is walking. But she's also kind of superficial at that point, so right. maybe she wouldn't Maybe remember. she doesn't know. I mean, because that is a very sweet moment. That's a very classic yes. Hollywood moment where he's walked her to her car, and now he's, oh, yeah, I'm just right here. And then we see him walk all the way back. To know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, George Michael. <laughs> that Prius you, joke, too, is, find, like, really fucking weird, piece? but it works. It does work. When it, I because I do that all the time too because Ryan Gosling is my spirit animal. Mm-hmm. Um, where somebody's like, uh, "Hey, excuse me, can you can you do that? Can you do this for me? Can you do mm-hmm. that? Can you do that for me?" And I'm like, "What's that? Can you?" We do, and as soon as they say "please," I'm like, "There, there it is. You go. There you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course I can." <laughs> oh, when he comes back to work at the the piano restaurant, and Karen says like. Welcome back. He was like, there's a nice way to say that, Karen. There's a nice way to say that, Karen. <laughs> oh, it's a subtle mm-hmm. jab. Well, it's like me so as, a, as a bartender or specifically as a server during like daytime uh, when I'm serving families, mm-hmm. I'll notice that some parents, adults, quote unquote, will tell their children like when they order, they'll be like, may I or please? Like you have to say that. And the kid will say that. And I'll be like, absolutely. And then the adults just say Never stuff. Never say it. And then I'll go, may I? <laughs> Please, and they get all mad and they don't tip. But I've made the world better. slightly better place. You've made them think just for a second. It's the sacrifices I make, man. Yes, I'm just oh, trying yeah. to. I'm just trying to help. That's I'm Batman. Oh, no, you're Batman. I'm Batman with a with a guest check. <laughs> oh man, yeah, just all of these like little subtle things that you still pick up on years later just makes that movie even more. One powerhouse. year later. One year later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a movie I'm gonna watch for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah, bottom line. It's mm-hmm. lovely. Yeah. I mean, I look to have children in the future, not anytime soon, but in the future, and I can't wait to share this film with them. I think it's just a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hang out with your kids, by the way, yeah? too. So, yeah. They'll Whenever. be little weird, pretentious assholes themselves. <laughs> right, yeah. No, no, we need to sculpt them into, like, you are going to be the Biggest asshole <laughs> ever. But you're going to be so charming. Everybody's going to like you anyway. Yeah. I grew up as like a part of the weird family in my southeastern Indiana town. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I hope my children will also be able to be kind of a little weird. But they might not be because Heath's upbringing is completely different yeah. from my upbringing. So have it'll we, be a weird Have we ever talked about Indiana? I don't know. Indiana is my favorite place in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, Maybe second next to New Orleans, which I, I feel like I just like I feel home there. I feel like... That's where I'm supposed to be. It's very odd. I feel super comfortable there. The first time I went there, I was just like, I feel like I know where everything is. Um, but Indiana, when I was living in Chicago for uh, about six months, I would go down to uh, Rockville, Indiana. Okay. Um, pretty much every other weekend and just hang out because uh, my roommate in Chicago when I was in the military was lived from Rockville? From, was from Rockville. So we would go down there. It was a quick three and a half hour drive or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I love Indiana. Everybody was so nice the first time I showed up and I was just like some New York kid, like 20 years old. And they're just like, yeah, sure. You can uh, come on. I like, I, <laughs> I played pool with like the oldest guy in the town. He was like 88 years old, loved to play pool. Nobody would play pool with him anymore because he always won. And I would just start playing pool with him and I beat him a couple times. <laughs> Pretty good at pool. Um, I love Indiana. Oh, that's awesome. Where where are you in Indiana? Southern. Southeastern Indiana. Okay. About an hour outside of Cincinnati. Because I think Rockville is more northwestern. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a little bit northwest of Indianapolis. Yes. If I believe. Uh, yeah, I th- we went to Indianapolis once. It only took about 45 minutes, an hour to get yeah. there from there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, it's fun. Indiana's great. And it's also I, I a great a name for a state. Yeah, Indiana. It's my second favorite name of a state. What's your first? Kansas. Kansas? That just sounds cool. <laughs> it's not cool. Yeah. Kansas is not cool. Heath calls it, uh, like, the armpit. Wait, is Heath from Kansas? No, he's, Heath is from Nebraska. Oh, from Nebraska. So there's a lot of contention The third there. best name. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Come on, it's just got, like, a name to it, like, Nebraska. It has a lot of authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds more like the title of something than the name of something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll have OK Kids after all, then. <laughs> and yeah. Indiana and Nebraska coming together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be fine. So, uh... La La I mean, Land. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. No, I think we can probably round to that. You got anything else that you so. wanted to, to say about it? I think I got out all of my feelings for mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll we'll meet, I'll see you this time next year and we'll... Maybe we'll so. talk about it two years. <laughs> uh, I mean, this was fun. I'll do that. Yeah. In a yeah. heartbeat. This is a good one. Uh, so, yeah, let's uh, let's get you over to my DVD shelf and I'll let you borrow some stuff. Um, cool. So, thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, remember, you can find all of our podcasts and articles, reviews, and more at StoryScreenBeacon.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Story underscore Screen underscore Beacon. We've got a lot of fun things there and uh, you can see uh, what we're watching and what uh-huh. we're planning on watching. And also, we post about all the articles and everything that we ever post on the website so that's a good way to know when we update some update the site um other than that uh get in contact with us you can comment down below if you're on our website listening right now uh nice little facebook thing right there uh go to itunes rate and review give us five stars uh if you're gonna give us any less than five stars don't rate and review um Unless you want to but give us give us one star but like the most gleaming review or Ooh. give us five stars and just really make fun of us. A scathing review. Yeah, just like have fun. Like pretend it's April Fool's Day. It's opposite day. <laughs> uh, thank you again so much for listening. And we will catch you next time. See you later. Bye. You should check out, I hate to add on to the list. Have you seen Lady Macbeth yet? No, not yet. Really good? Really good. Okay. Very good. It's about a uh, woman who, I, I, I can't place the actual time period, but it's, you know, uh, uh, fancy dresses and douchebag guys to age. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, the 70s.